Well, the Lord is good. It's good to see you this morning. Actually, they say it's safer to have the windows open. And so even though we don't have the air conditioning, we praise God for every situation. And uh, sometimes we have to be content just by seeing one another. Uh, while we cannot have too much fellowship, God is good. Now, we are in our series in Exodus and a series in the Tabernacle. We know that the Tabernacle is the dwelling place of God in the midst of His people, Israel. Israel said, please, Moses, just speak to us directly, but do not let God speak to us because they were afraid. They saw the manifestation of thunder and lightning and, uh, and smoke. Therefore, God built a tent, asked Moses actually to build a tent where he, his presence may dwell among his people as a symbol of his presence. Now, what is this tent about? Um, well, the tent, the tabernacle, a dwelling place, we would see there the symbols of Christ. And we will understand some writers in the New Testament, in the way they wrote, you would have a connection that why they wrote that way, why did they write that kind of symbolism, is they, would prob they were probably referring to many things in the Old Testament, especially the tabernacle. Remember, Jesus said that he was the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And the tabernacle is part of the ceremonial law of Israel. So he fulfilled the prophets, the many prophecies that the prophets made about the coming of the Messiah was, was fulfilled in Christ. In the same way, the law not only when you say the law, love one another, or love God with all your heart, and love your neighbor as yourself, it is not just that part of the law, but most especially, I would say, uh, the ceremonial law. And we will learn this in the book of Hebrews, how these elements of the priesthood, and the altars, and, and the different furniture, and the very structure of the tabernacle, itself has some significance or actually a lot of significance in our Christian life today. So next time if you say to me, I don't like studying the Old Testament, I would like to change your mind about it because you will appreciate more the New Testament once you have a grasp. Your mind has a grasp of what the Old Testament was and is. The tabernacle, God's dwelling place, has three compartments or three departments. There's the outer court, which we will discuss today. The outer court. Then, when you go inside the tent, there are two parts. The holy place and then the most holy place. Others call it the holy of holies. So there's the holy place and the holy of holies. Now, each compartment has items of furniture. It's not the furniture you have at home, like a sofa, where you can relax and lie down. It's a furniture made for worship. Each furniture was made for something, and it is to glorify God. 
It is used for ceremonial worship, which is part of their law. Moses and the people made the tabernacle according to pattern, because God said, Moses, make it according to pattern. We know that God is a God of detail. Moses understood the importance of following the details that God gave him, the same way Noah followed the details that God gave him when he built the ark. God is into the details of the things we do, in every decision we make, in every thought we think, in every, even every emotion we have. God is looking at those details. Thus we submit ourselves to God. And we know that by His grace, by His Spirit, we can live according to the pattern that God showed us. You see, the true believer wants to follow God's pattern for his or her life. The fake believer just says he loves God, but actually wants to do his own thing. If you want to do your own thing and not submit to God's Word, or the pattern that God shows us in how we should live, I pray that one day you will become a true believer. Because even a baby Christian desires God, and he does not know many things, but he desires God. He desires to submit to God. He may be less knowledgeable about many things. That makes him a baby Christian. But his desire is into God. Nowadays, they say you're a baby Christian just because you prayed a sinner's prayer. Or you accepted Jesus without true repentance and faith. That doesn't work. That's not the pattern of Scripture. Now, they followed, Moses followed the pattern. The pattern reveals parallels in our faith and practice in the new covenant in Christ. Take note that the ceremonies and the priesthood were all fulfilled in Christ. Now, can you flash the picture of the tabernacle uh, like we did last time? So, this is the tabernacle. This is the outer court. This is the tent of meeting. In the tent of meeting is the holy place and the holy of holies. Now, these are two furnitures here. The altar of sacrifice and the brazen laver. So, the court, the outer court, has two items. So, don't forget that. Two items. Upon entrance of the compound, one sees the altar of sacrifice. Can we put the altar of sacrifice, the one with horns. There it is. The bronze altar or altar of sacrifice. Where, well, some call it the brazen altar. Another word for bronze. Because it's overlaid with bronze. Now, there are horns there and they sprinkle the blood all over it. That's where they kill the innocent animal. They slaughter the innocent animal for the atonement of their sins. So, if you are repentant of your sins, yes, you repent in your heart. In the Old Testament, in your heart, you ask forgiveness from God. But you have to externally do something about it. At least every year, you visit and have an animal. Bring an animal there, and the animal is slaughtered because of your sins. That was the symbol. That, that was what they did for many, many, many years until the coming of Christ. You see, there must be an innocent, an animal. 
as we know, Christ was sinless. He had no sin. So that's where they burn the fat. And the fat gives a sweet aroma, like in barbecue, right? That's why some of us love to barbecue. Part of it is just the smell of it. It's just there's an aroma in it. Forgive me if you are a vegetarian. Forgive me for offending you. Because for vegetarians, they do not like that smell. Uh, they condition their mind. But I like that smell in barbecue. Well, this one is made to worship. The smoke goes up, and it is a form of worship. Then the, the priests sprinkle the animal's blood around the horns of the altar. Application, sin must be atoned for by an innocent sacrifice. They sacrificed animals on the altar of sacrifice. But today, the ultimate sacrifice for the atonement was made by Christ. All right? The ultimate sacrifice of the atonement was made by Christ. Before they have to do it every year. You sin this year, aside from confessing before God, you have to bring an animal. Then, of course, when Christ died, when Christ sacrificed himself, it, we don't have to sacrifice anybody else because he gave the ultimate and perfect sacrifice. He had no sin. Moreover, he was the Son of God that became flesh, who sacrificed himself, the only one worthy of one sacrifice for all time. That is who Christ is to us. Otherwise, if you were an Israelite, you have to keep doing it again and again and again and again. So that's why now, when we come to Christ, all we have to do is believe in His sacrifice. There is no gospel without the preaching of the death and resurrection of Christ. There must be death and resurrection when we preach the gospel. Whatever way you preach it, you have to preach about death and resurrection. My concern is many believers are more concerned about the morality of unbelievers. What do you expect? The morality of non-Christians during the first century church was terrible. You're talking about their emperors of Rome openly practicing bisexuality. And there were many orgies at that time in, 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 the, in Rome itself. The believers there were not surprised about the immorality of the non-believers. But among the believers, they expected something from themselves. Why? Because of the grace of God and the Spirit of God that changed their hearts already. So my friends, our concern for the world is that they must have faith in Christ, in the finished work of Christ. Repentance is part of it. The mere fact that they, the people in the Old Covenant the mere fact that they would go, the mere fact that they would go to the altar, to the tabernacle, was already because they were repentant. They were already convicted of their sins and they knew that they have to sacrifice an innocent animal. Praise be to God. When we came to the Lord, He made the sacrifice already. No need to sacrifice. What he demands from us is to be a disciple, to live a, a sacrificial life in following him.
And that is biblical. Any preacher you see on TV that focuses more on your morality rather than on the finished work of Christ, I do believe that preacher needs to focus more. If you read the Bible, for example, the book of Romans, 11 chapters deals with a theology. And the last few chapters dealt with application, the practicalness of living it. But some preachers prefer the practical living. You would enjoy hearing them, but without the theology, it doesn't give you a strong foundation. Why? If you look at Ephesians, half of the book is about the theology. First three chapters, it was in chapter 4 that says, Therefore, walk in a manner worthy of the calling which, which you have received. That's why, brothers, we must study these things. That's why our emphasis in our lives is more on our faith in the finished work of Christ. That is first and foremost. If that is not emphasized, the gospel is not understood. Repentance is part of it, of course, but more important is what he did for us. The significance of his death. It's not just knowledge. I know he died, sure. What's new? If your attitude is like that, then you do not understand its connection to the sins of the world. The death of Christ is sufficient. It's sufficient a death for all the sins of mankind. However, however, only genuine faith makes you receive the benefits of that sacrifice. And that faith only also comes from Him. Yet we challenge people, repent and believe. Change your perspective. Repent is change. Change your mind. Change your heart about sin. But not only sin. Change your mind about what you think. And believe in Him. Trusting in Him. We must understand the sacrifice of Christ in the altar. And that altar before God was the cross in Calvary. Only those with genuine faith in Christ can benefit from His sufficient sacrifice. Therefore, I encourage you, my friends, have faith in Christ. You see, a preacher of the gospel keeps preaching this thing. You know, until I die, I will not stop preaching about what Christ did. Because our actions, our moral actions, is a fruit of who Christ is in us. It is a fruit. You don't force yourself to do it. It's a fruit because you are deep in Christ. You have faith. Your faith is anchored in what He did. And that will only be real unless the Holy Spirit makes it real in our lives. And so what do we do? That's why we pray. That's why we come to the Lord and say with a hungry heart, Lord, I want to be saved. I want to have faith. I know what you did on the cross. I want to follow you. But in my own strength, I cannot follow you. But Lord, by your grace, we can. That's why the verse out there, whenever you come up and you go now, it says there, for by grace you have been saved. Take note, by grace you have been saved through faith. So it is, it is partially true that genuine faith saves you. It's partially true. It's not completely true. Why? Because the whole picture is, it's the grace of God that saves. 
but you access that, you're given access to it through faith, which is still a gift of God. By grace. So it is incomplete to say uh, a person is saved through repentance and faith. It is actually incomplete to say that, say that because it is by grace. By the grace of God that we are saved. And the grace of God is what? The death of Christ. The death and His resurrection. Because He had no sin, He cannot stay dead forever. Because death has no hold in Him. The wages of sin is death. But Christ did not sin. He only died because of our sins. But because He had no sin, the power of death had no hold on Him. Number three, the bronze laver made of bronze mirrors of the serving women. It's in chapter 38, verse 8. It is where the priests would wash their hands and feet before they enter the tabernacle. The bronze laver, they wash their hands and feet before they enter the tabernacle or else they will die. They will die. Now, let me just make a side note here. The mirrors then were made of bronze. Shiny bronze so women can see their faces. So can you imagine, the serving women sacrificed their mirrors. Now gentlemen, maybe you will not ever understand this. But you must try to appreciate that for women, mirrors are important. Is that true, ladies? Just not your head. Can you live without a mirror in a day? It's hard for women to do that. For men as well, but sometimes we don't care what we look like. But our, our mothers taught us to care about what we look at, so we respect others as well. But the women gave their bronze mirrors, and that's where the priests would wash their hands and feet before they entered the tabernacle. Now, it's very important. Because the priests are those who serve in front of God. That's why they have to wash their hands and feet before they enter. And upon leaving, upon leaving the service, the priests should also wash their hands and feet. Now, application. Christ saves through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. How does that happen? When we come to the Lord, if you are truly saved, the Holy Spirit regenerates you. Regenerates you. What does that mean? Changes you. That's why I do believe change can happen and change can happen now. Yes, instantly. Why? The Holy Spirit changes the heart. You've heard about those stories where overnight, literally overnight, Somebody who was a drug addict was no longer a drug addict overnight. How did that happen? When it takes so long to set somebody free. Well, the work of man is different from the work of God. Regeneration can happen. That is regeneration where the spirit changes the person with faith. Suddenly your desires change. The desire for God suddenly is there. It's not, you're not cultured into it. You're not cultured into it. You're taught to read the Bible every day. You're being cultured into that. 
And that's what parents do. That's what pastors do. But it's only the Holy Spirit who can regenerate you. The New Testament said in Titus 3, 5 that it's the water. The change of that is like the water of the Spirit that changes a person. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. True salvation happens with regeneration. And that is an assurance no man should give and can give. Only the Spirit gives that. That's why I don't like assuring you if you're saved. I say this is what the Bible says, but it's the Spirit within you that assures you that. And you know if regeneration has happened within you. I like one post, so I shared it. I don't share a lot of posts, you know, I'm very selective. I share posts from us when some of us uh, who preach, if it's not me, I share the post, if it's me, I share the message on my wall, but sometimes I share nice quotes. And uh, I like one quote that says that today there are people who think they love Jesus, they never knew. Because they were conditioned to emotionally worshiping Him, but not understanding how Jesus saves, not understanding what regeneration is. Not understanding the death and resurrection of Christ and its implication upon us. Thus a new birth must take place within us, which is the work of the Spirit. Once upon a time, the word born again was overused and abused. And they say people who are born again are those who have prayed the sinner's prayer or accepted Jesus. You know what born again means? The exact translation is born from above. It is God making a move in you. That's the grace of God, by the way. It is God making a move in you. You're born not of this earth, not of man. Of course, you were born of men first, of husband and wife mostly, or man or woman. You were born of that. But then the new birth happens. When the new birth happens, it is an act of the Holy Spirit. It is an act of the Holy Spirit. Reciting a prayer doesn't do anything. It is not liturgy. But when there is faith, whether with that liturgical, well, it's not supposed to be, it's, it's made like it. Repeat a prayer or not, if there is true faith within, if God has drawn you to Christ, something happens. The new birth is an act of God, and the word of Christ is water. And uh, two theologians would speak about it, John in John 15.3 and Ephesians 5.26, where Paul and John separately mention about the water of the Spirit and the water of the word of God. The word of God washes all whom he saved by his grace. Yes, let me say that. There's the labor in the tabernacle, the priest must wash. Take note, there are mirrors there. And we know that in James it also says that the mirror of the word. There is a mirror, it's the mirror of the word. And then there's water. 
the water of the word, the Bible says as well. Somehow these New Testament theologians are saying that it is just like the tabernacle. They wash their hands and their feet. They walk with God and what they touch, what they do, it is washed. What does that mean? You see, I believe regeneration happens once. That is connected with justification by faith. If you've gone through Romans, we've discussed that. However, sanctification through the Word is a continuous process. That's why every day before the priest would go in the tabernacle, they wash themselves. So every day as well, we meditate on God's Word. Every moment it's in our minds and in our hearts. And what does the Word of God do to us? What does it do to us? It washes us. Why? The more we absorb God's Word, the more we understand light, the more we see where we are lacking. That's why it is by the grace. Because the more you study God's Word, please do not be depressed, but be convicted. Be broken in heart. The more we study God's word, the more we realize our own imperfection. And the more you see that, again, don't be depressed. Because you would be depressed without, if you don't understand the work of Christ. The more we see our imperfection. So what do we do? We keep coming humbly to God and the word. We keep absorbing the word because it cleanses us cleanses our minds and hearts and somehow our hearts become one with the Word of God. We become cleansed. If we see our imperfection, what do we do? The key is humbling before God in prayer and seeking God's Word. The more we do it, the more change happens to us. I mentioned before, it's not like being a stoic as much as they are admirable people. The those who practice Thomism, they're an admirable way. They don't like hedonism. They like to deny self and, uh, and live in a higher standard. That's wonderful. But in Christ, that is not that. That is not what we are following. In Christ, what do we do? We come to Him and we experience the change within us the more we come to Him. How do you overcome a bad habit? How? Just by denying self? Yes and no. First, you come to the place of prayer. First, you come to the altar, meaning acknowledging Him for who He is and what He has done. That's how we approach the altar today. We don't sacrifice anymore. The sacrifice of sin is already done. We keep coming back to it by thanking God, by thanking Christ, and then what? Then the Word of God we meditate upon daily. It's a pattern every day. We get dirty every now and then, but then we wash ourselves. And that is sanctification. It is a continuous, never-ending process. That's why we are concerned if you're not reading your, the Bible. Big question mark. No sanctification happening really if you're not reading the Bible. So I question if you're truly justified. Because you don't care. You don't care about it. And if in your heart you really don't care, oh, come before your, before God on your knees and say, Lord, have mercy on me. Change my heart. Because a true believer desires the word of God. A true believer will follow the pattern. 
You see, a baby Christian may be young in the faith, but he does the pattern. Some say, oh, he's not yet reading the Bible. He's a baby Christian. No, he's not a Christian. That's a probability. So I ask you, my brothers and sisters, the altar of sacrifice, sacrifice has been made by Jesus Christ. If you have not had faith in what he has done completely about your sins, then we come to him and say, thank you, Lord. In your heart, you say, I believe. Forgive me of my sins. I know what you've done on the cross. And you're the only one who can forgive me my sins and erase my sins. Take note, that's the power of the death of Christ and his resurrection. He can erase. You're no longer, you're justified. Pinawalan sala, no longer guilty. So whatever sin you committed, the key is being humble and broken before God. But if you will justify yourself, hindi naman ako masamang tao, hindi naman ako nakakasakit ng iba, at least ginagawa ko naman yung tama, that is pride. It is called spiritual pride, and it is called Pharisaic pride. And it is hypocritical to the very core. For no one is good except God, and everybody sin. And one sin has enough power to take you to hell and damnation. So I say, what do we do? How do we react in humility? I deserve death. I deserve damnation in hell. That's why, Lord Jesus, I come to you alone. For you're the only one who's gone to death and came back. And you made a way for us. And that way is Jesus Christ our Lord. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father. The Holy of Holies is right at the end of the tabernacle. Christ is the way. The only way is first you go through the altar of sacrifice. That's where Jesus was. And by faith, that's where we meet Him by faith. You cannot reach the Father without going through the sacrifice of the Son. Cannot. Cannot be. Then if you truly have that by faith, if you truly have that, then the next is the washing of the Spirit comes to your life. If it is true, the Holy Spirit comes. It changes your mind. It changes your heart. He changes you. And then there's that hunger for the Word and the Word washes us. And we are clean regularly, clean by the word. You see, in the next few days, some of us, all of us, will probably sin a little bit. Huh? Yeah, maybe because you don't know what sin is. Let me tell you, sin is not just killing people or raping somebody. Let me tell you what sin is. Bitterness is a sin. Unforgiveness is a sin. Anger, if it is not holy anger, which is anger which is against sin, if it's just anger for the sake of anger, that is a sin. Impatience is a sin. That is a sin. Every idle word, word that does not edify other people is a sin. Every lustful thought, even a passing thought which you entertain is a sin. 
the neglect of God's word because the word of God says meditate on his word day and night it's a command not doing that is a sin we have to understand the weight of it to appreciate the grace of God It is our fault if you do not feel the weight of it. It is first the preacher's fault. And those who preach the gospel, if you share the gospel without making it heavy on them, you're not doing it service. That's not the word of God. The word of God clarifies this is heavy. We cannot do it. Every gossip is a sin. Listening to gossip is a sin. Looking down on others or judging others, I put them on shop. Tapat yung to shop. That is a sin. Every idle word. The word of God says, in everything give thanks. The failure to thank God of a blessing is a sin. Rejoice always in Christ. You're depressed. Oh boy, do you want me to say it? Oh yeah, it is. You're worried because you're in a very bad situation and you want the pity of others and you're so worried. Let me tell you, that is a sin. For the word of God says, do not be anxious for anything. So I tell you, my friends, we need Christ and we need the washing of the word always and consistently. That's why we live by grace alone. Because we are wretched and depraved sinners. But then we grow in sanctification. We never see it actually. Because we're so focused on our imperfection. And then we're so focused in His loving kindness. That's why a true person who is sanctified cannot really see if he is really holy. It's just like the wise person. The person who thinks he is wise is probably a fool. As I close, let us appreciate the wonderful thing that Christ did for us. The only way. And then let us appreciate our sins are ever before us. Only His grace removes it. That's why if we commit sin, we can come to Him and say, forgive me, Lord. And trust in that forgiveness. And believe in that forgiveness. 1 John chapter 2, He is the propitiation of our sins. Propitiation. He continuously intercedes for us. The role of the priesthood, which we will discuss in the future, about Aaron and the priesthood of Israel, the Levites, and their role for the nation, and their role before God. The same way Christ is the ultimate high priest, whose role is what? Continuously prays for us, intercedes for us. And let me just say, there is only one mediator between God and man. Christ Jesus. Nobody else. No other mediatrix, please. No other prayer through somebody before you reach Christ. Not in the Bible. Only Him. Only Him. And I invite you in the process of sanctification, the process of becoming holy, 
the process of learning to obey with all our hearts based on faith is the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, that's why we pray and depend on the Holy Spirit, humble ourselves, and in the Word of God we are diligent to study because both of that, the Word and the Spirit, cleanses us, sanctifies us, washes our hands and feet, washes our minds, our hearts, our words, and everything we do. And it's all right, so let us pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your grace, your goodness, your sacrifice. Thank you for showing us the Old Testament shadow of you, the prelude to your coming, this pattern of sacrifice, of animals, of the innocent. Yet you, O Son of God, the innocent who died for us, who suffered for us, yet that death and resurrection is so powerful that it is forever that we no longer need to bring animals to sacrifice, but only by faith, through faith that you gift us with, we can come and thank you for what you've done on the cross. We thank you for your word, the word passed on to your disciples and passed on to many generations that sanctifies us. We thank you for the spirit of promise, which you promised all you have saved, all who come to you, for the spirit seals us, marks us, and transforms us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all. May the Lord's protection be upon all of us. May the Lord's bounty and blessing be upon all of us as well. And we pray, O oh Lord, we pray, save every one of us by your grace. And we pray, O oh Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, we may all respond in faith in what you have done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.